BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show and happy Monday. It's your host, Olivia Perez. I'm a journalist, interviewer, and the creator of Friend of a Friend show where we sit down with some of my friends, your friends, and new friends to host inspiring but down-to-earth conversations with some of my favorite luminaries who are making good change. This week, we're welcoming on Naomi Elize. She's a fellow multi-hyphenate in the podcast and fashion industries, so naturally, I was so excited to swap horror stories from our journeys to where we are today. When Naomi was a young girl, she had a vision board in her bedroom that was filled with images most aspiring fashion girls dreamed about. Print out of the Vogue masthead, a dream title circled, and an encouraging sign that read, you can do it. Today, she's the Associate Market Director at Vogue, where she oversees swim, lingerie, kids, and the French market, setting trends and liaising for the magazine with some of the biggest brands in the world. When she's not doing that, she's a content creator and model for brands like Free People, Nike, and Uniqlo, and the host of her podcast, So What Do You Do Again? Each week on our show, Naomi invites trailblazing women to join her in conversation, with the goal of celebrating women of color and inspiring her young listeners to see what goes on behind the hustle. In this episode, Naomi shares how she hustled from a small town in Florida to manifesting her place on the Vogue masthead, to how she's now using her role to champion black designers and usher in a new era of fashion. Before we start the show, I wanna wish you all a very happy Thanksgiving week. I'm so grateful for all of your continued support and I hope you get to enjoy some time off this week, hopefully celebrate some traditions, I know I will be stuffing myself with pumpkin pie until further notice, but most importantly, I hope you all stay safe and healthy. Here's my friend, Naomi Elise. Hi, I'm so happy to finally be connected. Oh, same here. Thanks for having me. So where are you phoning in from right now? I am in Jacksonville, Florida, currently living in Davie, Florida with my dad, which is South Florida, but we're up here to celebrate my nephew's baptism. That's so exciting. That's so nice. Like what a beautiful thing to come together for. Yeah, I'm really excited. He's like the happiest baby. So he just brings joy to everyone. So thankful to have that happiness surrounded me. That's beautiful. What's on your mind this week? I feel like we've had such a crazy week of news. I love asking my guests this right now. Everyone's like, um, what's not on my mind this week? I know. And that is completely true. I mean, for me, this week has been a much more happy, much more uplifting week than last week, of course. And, you know, I feel like this week I'm more energized. I'm more, you know, I want to get up and do things. I want to get back into the hang of things of what 
I was like how I was like pre-pandemic, you know, like I have a bit more like I was saying this to someone like fire up under my ass. Like, yes. <laughs> like I'm ready I, to I agree with you. I feel that way too, but it's interesting because I do think that we are potentially about to go into another phase of lockdowns. But yeah, I think I've kind of like gotten a groove of like, you know, taking a walk and maybe being a slightly bit more social in a safe way, but it's definitely given me some taste of normalcy and I'm, it's just not, I don't think it's going to be swinging in my favor. Yeah. I mean, I'm still getting used to taking care of myself. And like, like you said, like you've been taking walks, like I'm not, I'm still kind of finding my, my center of, of how I can, you know, have some radical self-care, which is very difficult when navigating during this time, especially like you said, when we're potentially going into a second lockdown, it's, it's, it's quite such an intimidating time to, you know, be, have some progress and, and, and just like be yourself. Like you, you kind of just want to crawl up in the ball and lay in bed, but you know, you very much so fight and get up very much. So I love that you called it radical self-care. Yeah. But the, the, the term radical self-care is, it encapsulates like what you actually believe what self-care is because self-care is just not it's just not like putting on a face mask and it's not just like drawing yourself a, ba- a bath. Like, yes, that's self-care, but also there's radical self-care in which you look within yourself and you, you really try to grow and, and see what you actually need from within. And maybe that's going on these walks and to kind of look back on or reflect on your week and kind of see, okay, what did I do here? How could I be better going into my next week? I think that's so important. I've been trying to find that happy medium of what radical self-care looks like for me. I am nowhere near what that is yet, but <laughs> you know, it's, it's a process, but I love the term radical self-care because it, it, it is what it is. Like it, that's what self-care needs to be. I love that we're both in white right now. I, I know like it's very emblematic of some very bright, hopeful mentalities in the room. I know I was going to wear a blue look and then I was like, you know what, let's wear some white. I feel like you brighten it up, just have some fun with it, you know, threw on like some big statement earrings. I love that you're saying that because I do feel like part of my radical self-care lately has been wearing things that are a little unlike me, Mm. very vibrant and things that just kind of make me happy and less for the fashion of it all and things that are just like in the morning. I don't care if I look crazy. Like I'll put on like blue sweatpants and like a yellow hoodie and just be like, here I am. As you should. Listen, my favorite one of your looks is when you were in the Christopher John Rogers dress. And I I think you look vibrant in those colors. So keep going. I'm weirdly about to cry. Oh, (laughs) that was, that was only because I think we all hold memories of clothes that, hold actually hold memories for us and we remember how we felt in them I remember how they made us feel and it was one of those moments that I think Christopher who I know you and I both adore the way he designs in my opinion is is unconventional but it makes women feel brave and I know that you were a big part of Christopher and the CFDAs and we'll get into that soon um we are such a big fan of his and if you guys don't know who Christopher John Rogers is we did an episode with him a year ago, so go find it. It's a good one. Yeah, he's the best. Speaking of clothes that hold memories, you grew up in Florida. I would love to know what, especially from growing up in Florida, what your first experiences were with fashion. I love this question. I would have to say it stems from my mom. You know, I don't think I grew up 
thinking that my mom and my dad too, like I, I never grew up thinking, oh my God, they're fashion icons. But as I got older and at this age now, I realized how much that their personal style and that their their ways of shopping and their ways of wanting to look good when they went out. And even if it was just like to the grocery store, completely instilled in my own way of dressing. Like my first, my first thing that I've been obsessed with, like the, well, not been obsessed with, but my first really interaction with fashion would have to be when my mom would get ready for like all the Haitian parties. Like they were going to like two Haitian parties every weekend, you know, like this was at the prime, like they were party hopping and I would be like in front of their TV watching some show on Nickelodeon while secretly watching my mom like get dressed and see what her whole process was. And she has this incredible black dress. It's a wrap dress, but it has diamante trimming. And it's my favorite dress. Like I, I think about that dress all the time. And, you know, that is definitely my first memory with fashion. And she is pretty much at the core of why I wanted to get into fashion and why I kind of fell into the love of getting dressed. My dad more so kind of instilled in me the uh, the shopping habits, I would have to say. <laughs> you I would love like- that because usually I feel like it's the opposite. I feel like the dads are like, I don't get it. Yeah, my dad, listen, my my mom wasn't a big shopper. She only got into shopping because of me. Cause I'd be like, mom, please take me to Hollister. And she's like, please don't take me into that dark place again. I'm like, I oh have my God, Hollister. I love that. That's, she's like, that's, that's, I feel that. She was yeah. scarred from that, but we would just, it also like smelled crazy in there. Oh, crazy. And it was dark <laughs> and you couldn't see anything. And then you'd get to yeah. like the counter to pay and it would be $300 and you have three shirts in your hands. Right. And like, but right. you know, she, she supported it. She supported me in that journey. Glad I got out of it. So my dad, he would, he would like, we would go shopping, but it would be like for him. He would be like, okay, I need to go get a pair of shoes. And then he would get like these $300 shoes that were ridiculous, but so stunning. And in my head, I'll be like, okay, it's about the investment pieces. It's about the pieces that you're going to wear consistently. So that's pretty much where my love for fashion started. It's always interesting. And this is my very, I'll admit, this is my very narrow perspective on only growing up in cities. So I grew up in LA. I lived in New York, back in LA now. And I always just, I think it's so interesting to see people who have made it in fashion and have, are are so influential and are making an incredible impact, but aren't from city schools. And I wonder, I know I have so many college students that listen to this show And I'm sure that that's something that I can't relate to, but I'm sure that that's a, that probably feels like a huge challenge in front of you to be like, I'm so far removed from that. How do I get in there? And I'd love to hear a little bit about your experience in being in Florida and making the moves that you possibly could to eventually break into fashion. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was, you know, when I was in high school, it was kind of a daunting task. I didn't think that I could do it. Let me rephrase that. I I knew I had the power in making my dream a reality. I knew that, but I didn't think that one, that people looked like me could make it to that level and that I had the resources available to me and I couldn't afford to go out of state. It was just like impossible. It's like 40K a year and I had Bright Futures, which is like the in-state 
scholarship for Florida. And I was like, okay, I can go to a state school and get a similar education. Yeah, it might, might not be the same as a Parsons or an FIT, of course, but if I work at it and if I utilize the resources that I have available to me, I can make it happen. So I went to Florida State that had the best fashion program in Florida. And so I majored in retail merchandising and product development. Like I just dived into anything and everything that I possibly could. I got involved with two on-campus magazines. I got involved with as many like virtual internships as I could. I just like would constantly be on Indeed. Like the college and oh high God, school. I forgot about that website. Yes, Indeed. And um, what's it called? Ed 2010. College, Ed 2010. Ed college 2010. I would go on Tumblr and look for internships. Like I was constantly looking for ways in which I can get experience and to add to my resume because I knew I I didn't stack against stack up against the people who lived in New York or LA who had the opportunities because they live in these major centers where fashion is thriving and you have these opportunities to intern while you're in school. And I I didn't have that opportunity. I did a lot of that and I, I luckily got an internship at 17 magazine um going rest in, in peace 17 I magazine. know my first <laughs> that was internship. like I met those days I remember being a young girl and flipping through those pages like that was the pinnacle if you so, wanted to be in fashion as a teenager it was a dream I have to tell you and I I got really lucky because the the fashion assistants who worked there are still like they're obviously editors and such now but I'm still in contact with them and I'm really lucky to still have those connections. But 17 was truly my first introduction into like the real fashion editorial world. I remember I cried on my first day. I called my mom because it was like 8 p.m. And I was like, I'm just now leaving. I haven't eaten. Like, what is this? Like, what am I doing? Is this am I even right? I felt like I I felt like I didn't belong. Because, you know, a lot of the girls, the other girls who were there interning didn't look like me. And a lot of the people there didn't look like me. So I honestly, I felt a little out of place. But, you know, I just kept at it. And I kept, you know, coming in and showing out. And it it turned out to be one of the most incredible internships I've ever had. And it really showed me that I wanted to be in the position that I am in now. I love that story. I, when my first internship was at Teen Vogue, when I was fresh in college. And I can totally relate to everything you're feeling right now or what you were feeling in that moment, what you were saying just now, because it is really real. Like if you work hard and you get that first internship and it's something you really do love and want to do, you are the joy and the excitement is there, but you have to really want it. Like you can't just be there because you want the title or whatever it is like being there. I'll never forget that feeling of being like, I will do whatever these people say. I'll say I'll stay here as late as you want me to. Like, I am just so happy to be here. Honestly, like that, that is such a, like, I think about that feeling a lot because, you know, as you get more in the industry and and that's in any job, you kind of tend to lose that feeling and it comes. Oh yeah. You have to like anchor that as front and center as you possibly can. But, oh my gosh, like I, I just remember wanting to do any and everything. I, I didn't care. I wanted to do that, you know, and, but I still made sure to also, you know, look around and be in different, like get in different internships when I could, like in uh, separate summers, because I didn't, I wanted to make sure that I explored and made sure, okay, editorial is what I want to do and know and feel strongly about it. If I were to go into that position, 
that I explored all other possibilities in the fashion industry. I know you were also an ambassador for ASOS and Rent the Runway, oh and you were God. doing you were doing all of this while you were in college in Florida, which I think is so incredible. And I think that was insane. <laughs> no, I love it. I I I can relate to it. I was just like that. I I was, and I think it's just you get bit by the bug. You truly get bit by the bug, and it's so exciting and it's so thrilling. And again, you're just excited to be there, and you'll take part in anything. And I think for people listening, like it's you can never be doing too much when you're in college and you're excited about something. You can never be doing too much. And especially you have, you have the time, you know, Yeah, you really do. And you, there's, there's no other period of time in your life where you'll really have time like that again. Yeah. You have the time. I mean, obviously still make time to enjoy your college experience. I mean, I know I did, I went to Florida state, but (laughs) you know, you have the time to kind of go into different avenues and and to experiment what and know what you want to do and get that experience with multiple people especially now that you know i i know it it does suck that a lot of things are virtual right now but that just means you have access to multiple people like the options are endless so how from florida how did you get in touch with asos and run the runway and be able to to take part in that so it was I, honestly, I think I found those internships through Indeed.com, either right. Indeed or N2010. And I just applied. I applied. I got the Rent the Runway position first. And that was a great experience because I met some really incredible women. And I learned a lot about marketing through that job, which is something right. that I wasn't majoring in. It was just like, you know, on the ground marketing. But then I saw the posting for ASOS and that also, that was an, I'm not sure if they still do that on-campus internship, but it was quite a beautiful experience because like you would have to do like two events per semester and come up with other marketing ways, like little ones. And you kind of get put out of your like comfort zone. Like I would go to the sororities and be like, okay guys, shop on ASOS. Here's some free cups. Here's some discount codes, like stuff that I, I would that. never do. Like, <laughs> right, right. But you put yourself out there to do it. And exactly. I think putting yourself out there in that situation is actually how you figure out if you're going to like something or not. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We'll be right back after the break. And when we return, we'll hear all about Naomi's path to Vogue, how she sells the perfect pitch, and what went into starting her hit podcast. This episode is brought to you by Tradesy, an online resale marketplace where you can buy and sell luxury designer fashion. I love to use Tradesy because it helps me keep myself fresh with thousands of hot new arrivals daily on Tradesy.com. I get to save up to 90% off retail prices on all my favorite designers from Louis Vuitton to Gucci, Chanel, Louboutin, and more. You can shop new and pre-loved designer handbags, accessories, shoes, and clothing, and I trust them with every purchase. Every item on Tradesy is authenticated, so you'll always get what you paid for or your money back. Their smart data and technology systems can detect designer replicas with unparalleled 99.7% accuracy and reliability. And they have a team of friendly expert authenticators that are here to help if you have any questions or concerns. With Tradesy, there is zero hassle. You can enjoy fair, simple, and stress-free returns because if you don't like it, you don't have to keep it. If you're like me and you're passionate about the planet and sustainability, there is no better place to shop than Tradesy because they let you shop smarter while never sacrificing the styles that you want. They believe that the most sustainable styles are the ones that already exist and help us keep fashion in closets, not in landfills. And there's no better time to start shopping on Tradesy because gifting season is here. Tradesy new with tags, designer pieces, and vintage treasures are here for way less than retail, so you'll definitely win best gift giver this season if you're competitive like me. 
Visit Tracy.com and save $50 on your purchase of $200 or more with the code FRIEND at checkout. That's T-R-A-D-E-S-Y dot com. Hi, guys. My name is Sarah Nicole, and I am the host of the Papaya Podcast, where each week we dish out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom all through candid conversations in a very real and tangible way. I want everyone to know that they're not alone and that we share in these experiences called life. And sometimes when we get to know somebody else's story, it changes ours a little bit as well. So I want you to tune in with us on Mondays. Subscribe, rate and review it, and keep these conversations going with us. You can tune in behind the scenes at the Papaya Podcast and the birds with Fire on Instagram as well. Can't wait to see you next week. So after college, you moved to New York. When do you feel like you got your foot in the door fully? Oh my gosh. So I was still, when I moved, I was still very much, I'm not going into editorial because I kind of got spooked by it, by someone else. And I was like, oh my God, I'm not going to make any money. Am I going into like a dying field, air quotes? So I went into PR, fashion PR, and I got a job. Like, I remember I was on my way to my graduation. They called me to say I got the job. I accepted it right then and there. In I the love park. that. That's so awesome. And I moved that Monday. I went to Harry Potter World on Saturday to celebrate my... <laughs> I love Harry Potter, y'all. So... Went to Harry Potter World on Saturday. It was a great time. Had butterbeer. It's delicious. And moved that Sunday. Like, took my bags, moved to New York. My friends had an extra room that I could live in for a month. And so I went there, and I was in fashion PR. And I was like, okay, bet. Here I am. And it was a terrible experience. I mean, listen, guys, if we're being honest, like, I think if you are moving to New York for the first time, guaranteed, and everyone I know that's moved, your first year is hell on earth. It's difficult, especially if you are not coming from a big city. Being in New York was a beautiful experience, and being in New York permanently was a beautiful experience, but it was more so my experience in working in fashion PR because the company in which I was working for just it was it was a very toxic environment and on top of that I wasn't passionate about the work I really wasn't passionate about the work and I knew when I was working fashion week I knew in my head I was like I don't want to be working behind the scenes I don't want to be doing the PR I want I want to be in there like on in the rows like second row third row first row whatever like I want to be there to look at the clothes and be able to make that into my career because that's something I always attain to. So that at that moment within, I was in that position for about six months. And then my freelancer at the time told me about an open position at Vanity Fair. And I was like, oh, should I like, do I want to go into magazines? And then I emailed them. I ended up getting an interview. I like prepped like crazy for the interview. And Chris Legaspi interviewed me, who um, was the menswear editor. And I was like, he's going to go in and ask me all these crazy questions about like all the articles. I like knew the magazine from front to back. Didn't ask me one question about that. (laughs) In good measure, because that always happens. It's like always about like your own personal experience and like who you are as a person and what you want to get from like mutually benefit for the company. And I ended up getting the job and it was like, 
I was taking a crazy pay cut. I was losing my benefits. I wasn't going to be on salary, but I just decided, I was like, I'm doing this. I need to do this. I'm taking this position. And I remember I told my mom after I accepted it because <laughs> I was like, so... She knew she'd sway you out of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But she she was very supportive as usual and was just like, I support you. I, I know if this is something you want and you just have to work at it, but you can't stay in this position for like longer than six months because, you know, it's a freelance position that is not meant to be in for years. You know, you just totally. want to work up. So that's it. from there, I just was able to work my way up and it's been a great experience. It still lived up to all my expectations. I mean, you do work at Vogue now, so <laughs> I would assume that all the expectations were met to an extent. I would love to talk about that journey. You are currently associate market editor, and I always giggle when I see titles like that because I remember being 18 years old, fresh in the city at an internship and trying to understand where I could potentially see myself in that magazine down the line. I would look at, I would take the masthead. I would look at it. I would look at other people. I would look at their jobs and be like, can you see yourself doing this? Is there someone on the masthead that you admire? Go get it. But I remember looking at the titles and being like associate market editor. Okay. So they're in marketing. Got it. Great. Yeah. On. <laughs> Listen, it's so funny because my mom for the, we like my mom for the longest. I remember it was snowing in New York. Okay. And I call my mom and we're talking. She's like, Naomi, you should be, aren't you so tired? And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, and this is when I was the market assistant. She's like, you know, having to go door to door selling the magazines, like, do you have a proper coat? Like what's going on? And I'm like, <laughs> I was mortified. I was like, what are you talking about? Exactly. <laughs> what are so you talking about? That, and, you know, tell so, us what it means to be an associate market editor and what your role is at Vogue today. The titles can be very confusing, but what I do as the associate market editor, so I handle the French market as well as swim and kids. And as, of course, I will help along the lines of top level um, things that we're handling at the magazine, like events, but also it's more about offering ideas for what can come for the magazine, what editorials you may be thinking about, what trends and and ideas we have from the seasons and you know it, it will be from each season but like you know past season was very difficult because not many people showed so it's about kind of you know being innovative and thinking about who we can have in the magazine who who haven't we covered who would be new and exciting to cover along those lines so yeah i know it can get a little misleading but when i say i do the french market and swimming kids Essentially, I act as a liaison between the stylists and the PRs. So a stylist can be like, Naomi, for my shoot next week, I want Chanel look number five from fall. It's my job to then go to Chanel and be like, we can we request this look for the shoot? And it's my job to make sure we get that look and we get it in time and it makes it for the shoot. And it's also my job to be on top of, of course, advertisers and making sure that everything is getting covered each issue and that at the end of the day, we are a company and we want to make money and we want to have some revenue. So it's about, that's also a part of my job and being on top of those advertisers as well that are on my market. So that brutal fashion PR job really came in handy. 
It sure did. Cause I understood, I understand how to talk to like PR people because I get it. It's difficult. You're, you're pitching so many people a day and also half the time, no one like half the time, most of these people are not responding. And so it can be very, it can be very difficult. And it's, it's about creating those relationships with editors and it's about making sure, okay, if I email the person, they'll respond because I'm their friend or maybe they just feel bad for me or something, or maybe it's just an incredible product. You know, we as editors are getting like 2k plus emails a day constantly. And yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. And I'm, I'm definitely guilty of like clicking over things, just trying to clear my inbox. And I try to do as much as I can because I never want to overlook someone's pitch, but you try your best. That's, that's what's important. You talk about a vision board often, and I am obsessed with that. I think it's something actually that I'm trying to do. A friend recommended it to me a couple weeks ago, and it's a totally foreign concept to me. (laughs) I've never had one in my life. She told me she was like, start Pinteresting, print out photos. Like you could do it however you want. But I loved hearing that you've had one since you were young and that Vogue was on your Pinterest board. And I'd love to hear a little bit about like how that vision board first came to life and what was on it in the beginning. Yes. So that vision board actually started on my door. So I would do this like every, I would say every month because when my mom would go grocery shopping, I would get Teen Vogue, I would get L, and I would get Vogue. Those are my three magazines. She let me get them. I would just scroll. I would get through. I said scroll, but like flip through. And at the end of the month, I would go through my magazines and I would cut things out that I was inspired by and I would put it on my door. But then my dad was not feeling my interior decorating and asked me to take it down. (laughs) So I got a cork board and I started putting it there. And the first thing that I did was rip out the Vogue masthead and I put it on my vision board. I actually highlighted or circled. I think I circled Grace Coddington's position, creative director. And I put it up there. And on top of that, on a white piece of paper, I folded it. I don't know. I was just so extra. I like put, you can do it. And then you folded it open again. And it says, I believe in you. And then you folded it open again. You got this. And I signed my name and I dated it. And on, on top of that was just like little clippings that I had from other magazines. And I also put like little memorabilia of events in my life that I had. Like I was a camp counselor. So I put my little pin there, just like little things that reminded me of little moments in my life that were, that I cherished. And, you know, I've recently redid my, my vision board because I'm currently in my childhood house and I'm in my room and I was looking at it. I was like, I was feeling a little uninspired, like I was saying, just with the pandemic and everything and just feeling like I needed a refresh. I needed something to kind of get me going again. I wanted to feel like how I felt in high school and how I felt in college. Like I wanted to feel re-energized. And so I redid my vision board. I mean, I'm only halfway there. It it does take some time because you want to get the right stuff because it is important. You want to do the work, but you can also manifest and, and visualize things. And I think those two together are, is just the key to making your dreams happen. That vision board is so crazy because, you know, any every time when I would walk into my office and I would walk through those doors and I would look up and see Vogue, I would, I like, I still pinch myself like, 
oh shit, I really made that happen. I, I really made this dream happen for myself. Something that a lot of people doubted and a lot of people thought was out of sight and out of mind for me. Right. And, you know, you, you still have those, those moments where you feel like, oh, do I still belong here? Am I, am, am I worthy of this? Am I this? But, you know, you do the work and of course you are, you, you, you made it there for a reason. And I, I constantly remind myself of that too. Yeah, that's beautiful manifesting. You were ahead of the game back in, in your high school days. Now I feel like it's such a, a common term that people yeah. are getting into. I love to hear that you were doing that when you were younger. But I have to also question because I've because as someone that is new on my manifestation game, how much of it is also the real hustle? How do you balance the two? Oh, it's all about the hustle. You need to have that drive for it. You, you can't just, you, it's not going to just come to you. Yes, you can put it on your vision board and, and yes, the events to get there will align for you, but you have to put in the work to get there and you have to really want it. You have to really want it. So now you're literally in the room with people that were on your manifestation board as a kid. That must be a very incredible thing to experience. Oh yeah. It's intimidating too. But well, that was my next question was that, <laughs> oh my God, if I was in your position, I just like admire you so much because hearing you say that first off you take on pitches, but then you have to also bring them to, to Vogue and, and bring those ideas to life. Like how do you hold that conviction in you and not like shudder in those pitch rooms? Cause yeah. that's something that I think about often is like, what are, what is your best tip to nailing the pitch? I think for me is remembering why you are pitching and what would it mean to bring that pitch to the table? Could it change someone else's life? For me, is it's thinking about, okay, if I don't say what I'm about to say, what I'm what I want to pitch for the for the magazine or just in general, that could change the possibly the industry. It's like I have to understand, like, okay, I have I can speak for others that may not be in the room, you know, and I have that ability to then bring in those people as well so they can speak for themselves. And so it's very important for me to channel that because that's where I get the confidence to speak because it is very intimidating. Imagine you're in a room with the leading people in the fashion industry who have impeccable taste and impeccable ideas who have access to knowledge that you may not have access to yet because they are speaking to the grandest of designers and they, they have the access to these um, big brands. So you may not be on that same essential level because you're, they have years of experience on you, but you also have something to, to add, you know, you everyone has their own ideas and, and every idea is a good idea. Maybe it may not be the right one for at the time, but it, it's important to still pitch your ideas because that's the only way that change is going to come from it. Yeah. Speaking of change, we've seen, particularly in the past six months, but I think a little bit longer in the fashion industry, a big call for change and diversity and inclusivity. And I know that you've been a big advocate in your work at Vogue with your amazing podcast. So what do you do again and more? And I'd love to hear a little bit about things that you're working on right now that you think are pushing that message forward. I loved hearing that you were someone that put Christopher John Rogers's name up for the CFDA. And I, I kind of got chills when you just said that pitches that you bring into the room can change someone's life because that changed his life. Yeah. And 
that's a really beautiful way to champion champion diversity within your role. So if there's anything that you're working on right now, I'd love to hear it. And if there's any way that we can support you in that, we'd love to hear yeah. it too. Yeah, I, I want to briefly touch base on Christopher because that was the most nerve wracking time of my life being in that meeting because I went into it being like, I want to talk about Christopher. I want to make sure it's on their radar. I want to make sure that they're aware. And but it was very nerve wracking because at the time, I think I was newly appointed the associate position or I was the assistant market editor. I'm not I don't remember, but still very green to the scene, still very new to going to the fashion meetings. And I remember just her being like, anyone else have anything else to say? And I just was like, in my head, that's exactly what I thought. Is I said, if I don't say it right now, if I don't bring him up, no one else is going to. Like, it is my duty to. And listen, Christopher would have been as big of a star and even more, like, you know, like, even without me saying that. But just knowing that I had just a little part in it is it's an amazing feeling. And it, it really shows you like you have an impact on in, on the industry. Like that is one example of like knowing, oh, oh, wow, I have an opportunity to really help someone move along with their brands and and get them in front of the people that can also have such an, a crazy influence on our industry. So that was really important for me. I'm gearing up to start back up. So if you do again, it's going to have a comeback in January. You know, I started it around the time when my mom got diagnosed with cancer for the second time. And I haven't had a chance to really put my 100% in it. But I, I, I know the impact that it's had for some people. And I know how needed it is. And I'm going to continue with the podcast as well. You absolutely should. And there was a piece that I love the show and I know that it means so much to people as well to be able to hear the experiences of women of color making it in the industry. But I think you wrote a story recently and there was a line in there that really struck me. I'm going to read it. As I scroll through social media, read and watch the news, I'm constantly made aware of black pain, but never black joy. Mm -hmm. And there is so much of that in your show. And I think it's so needed. I realize, you know, like we were saying and how to continue the drive of being in the career that maybe you've been in for two years or four years, or, you know, it, it can get a little mundane in the, the, the same work consistently. Yeah. It's finding what really drives you. And after this year, I really realized like what I'm most passionate about is being able to give a voice to others and, not just giving them a voice, but uplifting them so they can speak for themselves and then they can bring other people behind them and bring them in the room and continue that process and continue to mentor. And and just, I want to have the next generation who come into the fashion industry to be bigger and better than who I am. So how did you start? So what do you do again? What was the impetus for you being like, all right, let's do this? Yes. So I actually, um, at the time, I was doing a lot of writing for Teen Vogue. I, Rajni Jacques brought me on to kind of just pitch and get more experience because I wanted to write for Vogue, of course, but I didn't, I didn't know how to get that process started. And also, I was very green to it and was not a writer. I mean, I'm still not. But, you know, 
That's definitely not true. I need to (laughs) clear the air on that for people listening right now. She's an incredible writer. If you Google her name, go on Vogue. She has some amazing stories. So don't cut yourself short. Thank you. (laughs) I appreciate that. I shouldn't do that. I remember I woke up one day. It was the morning of like the third day of Fashion Week. And it was probably 5 a.m. And I was just like in a sweat, like, what am I doing with my life? Like, what? I need something of my own. Sounds really familiar. (laughs) (laughs) Like complete ridiculousness, but like, that's me. And I'm sure you relate, but just was like, what am I doing with myself? I, I need, I want something of my own. I don't want people to just think of me as Naomi who works at Vogue magazine. I want people to identify me as someone who's separate and and who has my own identity. And it's not just about my career because I'm so much more to that. And I can bring so much more to the table. And from that moment, I just, I started the process. I was watching multiple YouTube videos because there's no good like YouTube video about how to start a podcast. Like I was doing so much research. I'm like, why is this information so difficult to find? I was like, what even do I need? What like Ableton? I didn't know what Ableton was. I was like, okay, what, what do I need to make these videos? And luckily my boyfriend who is very much savvy in that world, (laughs) he like helped me figure it out. I was using his recorder at one point. It's been so fulfilling. And it's also watching your audience grow. I really haven't able to see put my 100 into it to see the audience grow to its full potential, but seeing the organic growth of the um, channel and my podcast has been a beautiful experience and getting those messages and, and reading the reviews and just realizing that, okay, maybe I am making an impact on these young people's lives and for sure knowing if I am, but then you get those reminders of people messaging you on like in Instagram or they're emailing you or, or just coming up to you. I remember someone when I was in LA and I, this is my first time in LA. I didn't know anyone. I barely knew what LA was. And I went in, I went into a, a restaurant and a girl recognized me and she was like, you have a podcast, right? So what do you do? Oh my God. I was like, that's awesome. That's so rewarding. I started crying. I was like, what do you mean? You listen to my little podcast? Thank you. But it's just like those little things. You realize that even if it's just like five people who love your, what you're doing, it's that. Totally. It's worth it. It's so worth it because those are five lives that you are impacting and changing and possibly inspiring and giving them like this the ultimate drive to make their dreams happen. And that's the only like that's all what I want for the podcast is to to inspire others and give them the opportunities and also the information to gain for their their passion for their dreams. So I know that you work with brands on the Vogue side, but you and I are also free people ambassadors, which we love. I I was thinking about this earlier because we were talking about brands that we grew up with. And it's been such a joy for me to work with them because I will never forget one of the first stores I ever went in was their store that was really close to the house that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. And I remember it being actually one of the first times that I ever was like, oh, like, I think I'm beginning to understand what my style is. Like, I, I remember, like, it was the dresses, it was the plaid, it was very, like, ethereal, feminine, and I'll never forget that. 
I think that that moment was so crucial for me today in like deciding what brands I work with and if they truly resonate with like that feeling that I had that I was younger. And I'd love to hear how you work with brands because it is a daunting thing to do for sure. It could go wrong really quick. Yeah, it definitely is, you know, and working with free people has been such an incredible experience. You know, this is in my first time being a a part of the urban family. Um, I interned at Anthropology and PR on my final internship. And so I'm very familiar with the, the urban um, community and, and just, you know, they've always been an incredible company to work with and work for. And, you know, it definitely, it resonates with free people. And, and, and in general, when it comes to brands, I try to make sure that their, their values align with mine. And that's very important all the brands that I've worked with are brands that I I love and that I use myself and, and that, you know, I, I truly believe in because creating content is not easy. I'm no like content queen. I get very frustrated. I'm so bad at it. Um, it's so, I'm so bad at hard. it. Especially it's really hard. And <laughs> yeah, it's a time suck for me. It takes me like three hours to get a good photo. I'm so envious of my friends. I can just like snap the selfie and move on. Yeah. I'm just a really picky person, but I think, piggybacking off what you said if it's something you genuinely love it's easy I had Lauren Singer who's at trashes for tossers on Instagram um on the show once and she says something often where it's like everything you do has to live in alignment with your values and that has always just kind of been really close to my heart as a mantra because I think that that carries very very heavily into I'm sure the way that both you and I choose partners and who we decide to work with you guys should see me these days trying to create content. I like bought a tripod. I have a ring light. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, my boyfriend cannot take photos to save his life. So it's just, we're, we're really, we're surviving right now. It's so bad. Like I, and my dad (laughs) is like, what are you doing? Like I brought out my tripod to shoot this bag. And it was like, he was, I was in the yard and he was looking at me like, why are you in the yard taking these ridiculous pictures? Like, what is going on? My neighbors think I'm insane. <laughs> they think, uh, I don't think they know me, but they see me through the window and they have to think I'm insane. <laughs> so we're doing well in quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to be reunited with my boyfriend so I can force him to take pictures of me. <laughs> exactly. We love it. We love making the boyfriends be our stand-in photographers. I'm praying for them, honestly. <laughs> What's a short-term goal that you have right now? Um, honestly, it would be to find um, my happiness again, I would have to say. I think to really find that in, you know, I think it's going to take some, some time and some soul searching and some digging, but it's really something that I want for myself because it's definitely been a difficult difficult year I know for a lot of people um and just speaking to my own experience but it's just been taxing on my mental health on myself and so I that's really a short-term goal of mine I think a lot of people feel that and are afraid to say that and my response to you is going to be that I hope that we as listeners and your show and my show give you some sort of happiness and solace and knowing that you are helping so many people and inspiring them to go after what they're passionate about. And I hope that that brings you a little bit of comfort and a smile every now and then. It does. Thank you so much. It really does. Of course. Of course. 
what are you excited about right now? Is there anything that's coming up that you're just like, that's on your mind, that's, that's giving you some ease? You know, I'm excited. There's a few things I'm excited about. I would say on the work side, I'm excited to kind of get back into the swing of things and get back into building my capabilities and, and knowledge yeah. of writing and, and always fun to build that. You, you have know. that project. It's daunting and scary. It really is. But I'm excited to kind of because I, I feel like I'm ready to get it back yeah. to it. And on the family side, I'm I'm excited to have this time with everyone and to be able to, you know, Thanksgiving is coming up and Christmas and to spend the holidays with them and, you know, continue to make memories and continue to have time with my nephews who, one of them is eight, who you probably have heard playing his video game in the background, <laughs> but um, he's a wild one. And then the other one is almost six months old with like, the biggest cheeks and looks like a cabbage patch kid he's the thing you know I and then on just on my own front it's I feel like I am on this journey with all that's happened I feel like I'm truly on this journey of rediscovering who I am my purpose and, and kind of getting that feeling of how I felt when I was in high school and when I was in college that yeah. same drive that same like that thirst, like, you know, it's such a different, you know, everything, it's very different. You know, every, every part of your life is going to be different and it's going to be a variation of the previous part of your life. But I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this new chapter. I love that. It's very exciting. Before we close out the show, I always like to ask my guests if there are any platforms that you want to draw attention to right now for our listeners. Oh, yes, I would love to bring some awareness to building Black Bedsty. Um, Rajni is one of the founders. I think it's an incredible initiative. I can't wait to be back in New York and Brooklyn to be a part of it. But they are just championing local businesses. They've been doing a, I want to say weekly. Um, I, won't, I don't want to say flea market, but it's kind of like a stoop sale outside of Sincerely Tommy with different vendors and it's, and proceeds go to like local businesses. And it's that's a, awesome. It's a very brilliant, it's a beautiful thing they're doing. They recently started it. I mean, I mean, anything she, that woman does, it's amazing. I'm such a yeah. big fan of her. Um, and yeah, I think that would be my one for, to bring awareness around. I love that. Naomi, thank you so much for coming on. So grateful for your energy and your light and all the advice that you gave. I'm, I'm so glad that I got to connect with you in this way and talk for the past hour. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Friend of a Friend. Before you go, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at tiermedia.com. And for more behind the scenes of the show, visit us at friendofafriend.us and follow me at Liv Perez on Instagram. Don't forget the two Vs. See you next week.